lead into everything. By the way, welcome. I know we said hi, but welcome back to the pod, Hillary. It's so great to have you on. What was our last one? Was it? It was not Indiana Jones. Was Indiana Jones the first one we ever did? Yeah, I mean, regardless, it's nice to have you on because... Oh, I remember what it was. It was like a monthly recap, and you were like, wait, do I have to watch all of these movies? I'm like, no, no, no. We're just going to go through the movies, and then I'm going to hear your thoughts. So similar to this, we just brought up Barbie. Before we dive into the movie news and our 2024 movie digest, I want to ask you personally, what's your- Yeah, wait, I have to give my disclaimer. Yeah, give your disclaimer. I work for IMDb, but I do not represent the brand- All opinions I give today are my own. They do not represent the opinions of IMDb. Signed, sealed, sent off. Okay, we're good. What's your thought on the whole Barbie discourse? Margot Robbie getting snubbed. Greta Gerwig getting snubbed. Are you part of that? Like, do you feel very strongly about it? Or do you see where the Academy is coming from? Just give me your own thoughts. I am the most upset about Greta. I mean, Margot, too, like both of them, I think both of them deserve to be nominated. Greta, if I had to choose, which I don't want to choose, but if I had to choose, I would have put Greta in there for sure. Just because of what they accomplished, especially when it's best director. I think the reason I say Greta more so than Margot, only because respect Margot so much for obviously that role, but also what she did behind the scenes, like Her and Greta worked hand in hand to create this amazing film. Her company produced it. She's been, she worked with Mattel and she worked with all these people and they did so much work to make it happen. I say Greta more so than Margot got snubbed only because Margot is in the best actress category and they're not taking any of that in consideration versus Greta in the best director category they should have. Mm, okay, I see. So it's a little bit more broad in her category than just an acting sense. Yeah. And I think that both of them definitely deserve to be nominated. But from where the Academy is coming from, I could understand thinking behind that about Margot more so than Greta. But either way, at the end of the day, they both should have been nominated. Like that film did things in the industry that no film has ever done before and broken records and all of these things coming from a movie that when it was first announced people were like i don't know another live action something i think it's sad and also just the lack of female directors that are in the best director category there are never enough female directors in there to have something like this and a title like this that made waves across the world like this one did to leave Greta out is, it's not cool, man. (laughs) It's not cool. Yeah. I've been going back and forth with, you know, different friends and connections who are kind of on both sides of the scale, right? Where it's like, hey, big snub, right? Because Greta Gerwig is not only an incredible director on Barbie, but one of the best directors we have in the industry today. And then Margot Robbie, you know, is not only an incredible actress in Barbie, but one of the best actresses we have in the industry today. I do think what's tough is there's no reciprocation with the best picture category and best director because you have 10 and then you have five. So you have to cut half of them. And one of those was also, you know, Celine Song, Bradley Cooper, these other incredible talents, whether it's directors, even in the, the best actress category. Greta Lee, you know, from past lives, like she didn't get any love. And I'm like, wow, like that she gave a a monumental performance. Yeah, I do think that there's a lot of merit when it comes to, hey, you know, look at the bigger picture. Look at what Barbie accomplished. You know, this is a billion dollar film. Obviously, IP, nobody thought anything of it. They kind of created the story off of a plastic doll. There was no script. There was no foundation. 
it is technically adapted, even though it's not like it, it's it's very original with what they did with the story. Right. It's not like it's a live action of something that already exists. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they took it in a direction that nobody thought they could. Right. You know, my girlfriend even said like, hey, I feel like they got shafted quite a bit. There are little things that I think the Academy might have seen where it's like, yeah, the Will Ferrell stuff didn't work as well. The showcasing the Chevy Blazer as like an ad throughout the movie that didn't work as well. But everything else did, you know, the monumental finish or the conclusion with that empowerment and that equality and that kind of independent stage of Margot Robbie's character. So I hope that they get love. You know, I don't know where it would be because, I mean, best song. I think they'll definitely win that. That's my own opinion. And then maybe adapted screenplay. Yeah, Barbie was kind of this phenomenon. And I was just curious where your head was at because I know that's been a hot topic button when it comes to award season. So anything else when it comes to Oscars, nominations, any any hot takes, any predictions, anything uh, top of mind? Do you want my predictions for the categories? Do you have them? If you do, yeah. I'd, I'd love I, to You hear. sent me notes and I wrote them down. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's hear it. Okay. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the Oscars first and then we'll talk about this year because I know we're kind of doing the bits and pieces. Yeah. For the Oscars, Poor Things was my favorite film of 2023. Hell yeah. Let's go. I would give that every award. Emma Stone, I love Lily Gladstone. No shade to Lily Gladstone. I just watched Killers of the Flower Moon this weekend. She's phenomenal. But Poor Things is a film no one has ever seen before. No one has ever done that. Yeah. You can't even put that film into a genre. Yeah. Emma Stone even joked about that in one of her acceptance speeches from like, the Globes where she's like, I consider this film a rom-com and people kind of laughed at her and she's like, no, it, it's a comedy, but it's also a romance. But Bella falls in love with herself. And I yeah. thought that that was such a neat way to look at it. Emma Stone and Yorgos Lanthimos, who directed, they've been talking about this film and working on it for like six years and for all of it to come together and even just... Now I'm going on a tangent about it, but I just love it. I just love it so much. In Emma Stone's Actors on Actors that she did with Bradley Cooper, she talked about it too and how when they filmed it, none of that stuff was CGI or anything. Like when they were filming, they built these sets of Lisbon and like whatever little cities that they went to. Mm -hmm. And then even when they were on the boat, looking out over the railing of the ship. That was a big IMAX screen that looked like that. You know, they weren't pretending. They were acting because they could see what it really was. They made it all encompassing as they could on set, which I thought was so cool. I mean, the costuming was incredible. The writers, the way that they wrote Bella's dialogue and how she evolves as a character, I would give that film, like I said, all the awards and Emma Stone didn't need a breakout role but even so this is it yeah I completely agree I've had a tough time because on the Barbie train you know I don't know maybe divided on ego more so on product because the product of Barbie in my opinion it's kind of objectively just really good like it's a good film I would say top 15 top 20 of 2023 but then there was this discourse about like oh this is not the right way of thinking blah 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 all these things that just had nothing to do with the product now, when people are walking out of poor things, I feel like they're not talking about that as much. Like I went with a group of friends and they hated it. They did not like it at all. And they asked me, like, what would you rate this? And I was like, ah, oh, probably four out of five. Like, I really enjoyed that. I think there's a deeper meaning. There's three sections of empowerment and independence and growth. And they're like, whoa, we'd give that a zero. What? You need to get better friends. <laughs> 
I I do I do love my friends. I'll I'll make that disclaimer. But I was I was thinking to myself, this is just a little bit more of an elevated Barbie type of film. It's kind of this elevated journey of empowerment and, and individuality and finding yourself in the midst of being told you're a certain thing and being told that this is the way of living life. And the way that people aren't seeing that, I'm a little confused, right? Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, are you just seeing it for a blanket statement story rather than what your ghost is really trying to tell? Because in my mind, you nailed it. I think it's a movie you can't describe. I don't think you can really categorize it. I don't know if you could even put it in this genre of films like the Daniels because it's so unique. But I think Poor Things has a big shot at making a splash. I would say Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and maybe a hot take, but I think Zone of Interest could come through and make some big splashes. Yeah. Favorite movie was Poor Things, Emma Stone. I'm also with you, by the way. I think Emma Stone should win. That's my personal pick. I think Lily Gladstone was great. It's funny that we have to make that disclaimer. Like, wait, wait, wait. Lily Gladstone was great. (laughs) It's such a common discourse that if you're rooting for one person, that means you're actively rooting against the other, which isn't the case. Not true. Yeah. The best picture category, I mean, it's amazing every year. All of them, all the categories are always amazing. That's what the Oscars are. But because of that, we need to stop as an industry, the thinking of I'm rooting for Emma Stone, so I want all the other ones to lose. Yeah. No, I'll be happy if any of them win. But I do agree. I mean, I love what you said about how people comparing Barbie and four things, because my coworker and I have actually talked about that a lot, where both of us kind of said, I love Barbie. I thought it was wonderful, but poor things was my Barbie. Yeah. You know, and she said the same thing. She's like, I walked out of poor things and I was like, stamp. (laughs) Cheers. But like I said, I'll be happy if anybody wins. Like, that's what the Oscars is. I'm happy for everyone. (laughs) I know it's a fun award show just to experience. Once again, I think more fun if you make picks and if you have a little bit of an attachment to something like Emma Stone. Like Killian Murphy for Best Actor. I, I want Killian Murphy to win so bad. And honestly, I think... The conversation is, oh, he's he's got it, but I don't know. Like, I think Paul Giamatti is really close. Once again, to your point, would be awesome. Like, Paul Giamatti did incredible. I'm not like, oh, I'd be pissed off if he got it. But Killy Murphy, I rewatched Oppenheimer on Peacock over the weekend, still holds up, even on streaming, just blast the audio, allow that score from Ludwig Gornson to just seep through your veins and your soul. Yeah. Great film. So Killian, Emma. Killian is just... I'm so happy that he's finally getting his flowers. You know, I've been a fan of his for so long. Peaky Blinders, I still say, is one of the best series ever made. Even if you want to talk about just cinematography. I will talk all day about Peaky Blinders and the way they film that. And most of the lighting is natural light and firelight and smoke. Yeah, that's true. Who else has done that? I truly think he's one of the most talented actors of our time, maybe ever. And he's been working with Chris Nolan for... 20 years and I'm so glad that he finally got that lead spot because he's been working with Chris forever but he was never top of the call sheet you know so I'm so happy that he thought of him immediately for this role and he pulled it off and then some yeah then some is an understatement (laughs) nobody else could have done that and that's also credit to Chris Nolan and what a brilliant director he is is When he's making a film and writing something, he knows immediately who he wants in that role and doesn't question it. And he's always right. He's always right in those decisions that he makes. And it's funny because so many people who have worked with him have also said, you know, when Chris Nolan calls you and asks you to be in a role, you don't say no. You'll never say no. Because of that, because he's so brilliant, but also because, you know, 
he probably already wrote this role with you in mind. So you better yeah. say yes. Yeah. And I think I like that you mentioned that because I think there's this level of maybe passion or respect to the foundation of cinema. And I know that sounds like, I don't know, lame to some people, but I think there's a, a conversation worth having where you watch movies that are fun, but imploded with CGI and imploded with maybe just kind of mm -hmm. a, let's get this on paper, let's get this on screen and let's just make some money. Totally fine. That's a career. I understand people make money. But then you have Christopher Nolan who asks for massive budgets because he uses every penny of it to make something incredibly authentic, very practical. And to your point, he compiles a group of actors that just fit with each other because his projects ask for the highest quality. So I think that's a great pick. I would love Killian Murphy to win. I will say this is somewhat of a transition into the movie news, but I don't want to go there unless... Do you have any other Oscars, you know, maybe hot takes or predictions or anything that's kind of top of mind? I think that's most of it for the Oscars. I'm really excited. Like I said, I'll be happy for anyone that wins. I think the only other thing I would say is Barbie, poor things, Oppenheimer. There's so much dialogue happening online. And like you said, between friends and everything about the couple like big ticket films. But there are also some of the maybe not as talked about ones that are still so fantastic. So if you are a movie fan, please see those too. I watched Nyad and it blew me away. One of, if you like any kind of sports movie, quote unquote, you know, it's so fantastic. The whole cast is amazing. I mean, Jodie Foster, all of them are so fantastic. It's directed by Jimmy Chin and his wife, who, if you're familiar with Jimmy Chin, he's a director, but also photographer. He made Solo, Free Solo yeah. with Alex Null, which is also such an incredible film. One of the best documentaries. Oh, one of the best documentaries ever. He's a photographer and literally goes climbing with Alex Hunnell and all these professional climbers and like hangs off the mountain just to take pictures of them hanging off the mountain. <laughs> I love and that. And so for him to normally be doing things like that and then to pivot to doing not, it's not a documentary style like Free Solo is, you know, it's yeah. a film, but telling this true story and it's just, it's so good. It's so good. I watched Anatomy of the Fall over the weekend. I love that movie. Amazing. I think Anatomy of a Fall is one of one of the sleepers of this entire, you know, group of pictures. Yeah, it really is. So if you're that's my that's my words of wisdom. If you're a movie fan, watch some of the other nominees beyond the few that you can't stop seeing headlines about because they all are really fantastic. I think that's a great tidbit because, you know, not only for fans who are big, you know, who want to watch movies. But even the 10,000, technically 9,500 voters of the Oscars, I think a lot of them don't get to the smaller films that are submitted because they're just not marketed. And so right. when you're not marketed well enough, people, whether you're a fan or a voter, they just don't get to watch them. Well, and they're hard to watch. I mean, even yeah. I watch all the Oscar-nominated films every year. Up until a few weeks ago, I couldn't even find half of them to watch, rent, anything, anywhere. Yeah. Well, right. That is that is a hard thing is like, I mean, obviously, again, as an industry, studios have to make money and people have to release things in certain ways and everything. And I get that. But at the same time, there's an accessibility thing that I think we still haven't really figured out what the middle ground is there. Yeah. And I almost I, I think it's a great take. And I feel like that's because a lot of the movies that are trying to be considered for an Academy Award or BAFTA, SAG, Golden Globe. 
they tend to try to fit in the October, November, December slate, which is right before the actual award season. Whereas if you look at Everything Everywhere All at Once, that was like a March release. So it had all year for people to watch it, kind of take it in, rewatch it, talk about it, digest into the takes. Barbie and Oppenheimer, they're in the summer all year to talk about or half of the year to talk about those films. Right. Barbie's been streaming for like six months. <laughs> exactly. And and that is, in my opinion, a big pro to Barbie is it's allowing people to watch it. Whether they hate it or not, they're going to be talking about it, or whether they love it or not, they're going to be talking about it because they can watch it. Yeah. There are films like, you know, The Zone of Interest and even Anatomy of a Fall, which was recently released to VOD. There's a bunch of films that you just can't watch until maybe the week before. And that's cramming too much in when everybody's busy. All right. Watch films that are not marketed high enough. Kind of dabble in some other things besides Oppenheimer and Barbie, because we know you've seen those. Quick movie news, and then we'll get into uh, the movie Digest, which, by the way, very excited about this topic. When we first mentioned this, I was like, this is something I, I want to dip my toes into. I want to figure out hot takes predictions, because then it's fun to revisit a year later and say, wait, did I get these right? Did I feel this way? Did I like what I predicted? So some movie news. We were talking about Killian Murphy. And there is a lot of talk about the relationship between Killian Murphy and Christopher Nolan, which you mentioned, you know, they've worked together for 20 years, six films. However, he is not the actor who has worked with Christopher Nolan the most. So I put together a list of the top five actors who have worked with Christopher Nolan the most. Starting at number five, Tom Hardy, who's worked on Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, Dunkirk. Any thoughts on Tom Hardy, by the way? Are you a fan? Are you not a fan? Oh, love him. Yeah. Again, Peaky Blinders, his yeah. role in Peaky Blinders was incredible, and people don't talk about it enough. Yeah, what what was his name? Alfie? Alfie. Yeah, he was nutty in that that show. He's so good at accents. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's like kind of weird with accents. I feel uncomfortable with his accents. Oh, everything he does makes you feel uncomfortable, but in the best way. Also, what was the name of that show? Um, Taboo? Did you ever I, watch that? No, never even heard of it. Okay, he did a series called Taboo. They only did one season and then it got pulled. I don't know why, but it was it, his character was actually kind of similar to his character in Peaky Blinders, except he wore like a weird top hat. That sounds like him. I like why. But, yeah. Why can I easily imagine that with Tom Hardy? Yeah, he wore a top hat, but he had like a weird accent, and it was all like similar vibe to Peaky Blinders, like dark and dirty and everything's muddy you know what i mean <laughs> yeah 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 muddy is a good term too that's a good way to describe him he's very like muddy but in a great way but it was kind of like a supernatural vibe it was like in the 1800s but he's kind of like hallucinating and something with his sister and it's like ghost supernatural vibes it was amazing and they canceled it after one season but there's there's your other hot tip there's a little gem. Go watch Taboo, one that yeah. I've never heard of. One season, I, it sounds like. It's on Peacock, according to the Google. Okay, according to the one and only Google, it is on Peacock. Tom Hardy is, you know, funny. He kind of gravitates toward the 18th and 19th, uh, or I guess I should say 20th, 19th and 20th century like world. Peaky Blinders is early 1900s, and then you have the 1800s with Taboo. And then he also starred in a movie. I forgot what it's called, but it's him. And his like twin, but he plays both of them. And it's like early 1900s again. So yeah. he, he's kind of in this timepiece period. And there is a movie coming out, which we will get to because it's high on my anticipated list that he is starring in this year. So we'll wait to get there. But Tom Hardy, number five on Christopher Nolan's list, three films. 
Number four is Gary Oldman. If you've worked on the the Dark Knight movies, you're automatically going to be propelled into this top list because he played Commissioner Gordon, so he was in all three Dark Knights, and he was an Oppenheimer, very disguised in Oppenheimer, but he was president... I can't remember if it was Roosevelt or Truman. I always get them mixed up. He was the president that Killy Murphy talked to, and he called Killy Murphy's character a baby. Like, get that baby out of my office. And I thought it was so funny. I cracked up, and it's probably not a moment to crack up. But Gary Oldman's one of the greats. Are you are you a high on a Gary Oldman trainer? Oh, you're like, nah. He's one of the greats, hands down. I think he's one of the people that you watch things and you don't realize it's him until way after the fact. If people are like on the fence about Gary Oldman or maybe like, oh, I don't know if I've seen anything with him. It's because of that. He can adapt to anything. Yeah. People still don't really realize that he was serious black in Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because he doesn't look do he doesn't look like him. Like Sirius yeah. Black and Gary Oldman don't look like each other. He's so good. He was in Dracula. I'm looking at his credits now. Obviously Oppenheimer. Hannibal. He's currently doing Slow Horses, which another sleeper, if you haven't watched that. I've heard great things about Slow Horses. So good. His character in that is another one that at first makes you feel uncomfortable, but like in a good way. Okay. <laughs> he also stars as Mink in uh Mink, yeah, which is directed oh, by David yeah, Fincher. Yeah. Oscar-nominated film. I believe he was nominated also for Best Lead Actor. I mean, he's a veteran in the acting world. He's been around. He's been in so many things. He's credited The Dark Knight and Harry Potter for saving his life. Not only his career, but also his personal life. Also, he had never read or anything, knew anything about Harry Potter before he took that role. And it was like his niece that had read the books and was like, no, you need to take it. Because he almost didn't take the role because he didn't know anything about it. And they were like, trust. Would we have him today? Like, would we have him as Commissioner Gordon? Would we see him in Mank? Would we see him in Slow Wars? I don't know, because Harry Potter put him on the map. Which is sad, because he's been in the industry for so long. It's sad the first thing that people associate with him, but it's true. It's marketed. That's the thing. Like, if it's marketed well, and if it's reaching billions of people, he's going to get his face on the map, which the Dark Knight did that. Obviously, Harry Potter did that. So I hope that he continues. You know, I I know he's kind of on the the tail end. He's still got time, but he's on the tail end of his acting career. According to IMDb, his first credit is in 1982. What was it? Remembrance. Remembrance. 1982. Yeah. He's been around. He's been around. He's so good and can do anything and usually is in some kind of costume so people don't even know it's him yep there you go there you go look closely and you'll find gary oldman you watched bram stroker's dracula 1992 i watched that movie knowing it was him and still like my eyes couldn't believe it because he plays the character of dracula right mm-hmm. yeah okay i need to watch that i haven't, I haven't visited that one uh number three on this list is christian bale my favorite actor Once again, favorite and best are different things. We can have that conversation later. My favorite actor is Christian Bale. I saw The Prestige last night. Wonderful film. It gets better and better every time I watch it. Of course, he played Bruce Wayne in the Dark Knight trilogy. He is just credited as one of the great actors of this generation, our time, the last 20 years. Um, I feel like him and Leonardo DiCaprio have always been kind of comparative to one another, comparative in their quality of roles. Obviously, I think Leo has been a little bit more acclaimed in the in the sense of award season and whatnot. Do you have a favorite Christian Bale role? Does Christian Bale kind of pop out to you as a as an actor that you look out for? I think he's another one that I feel like people don't talk about him a lot, but mm-hmm. I agree he's so talented. You can't talk about Christian Bale without talking about American Psycho. Yes. You do not 
super familiar with his frame of work start there again i think that role is the one that really defined him and put him on the map even though again he's been around for a lot longer than that yeah he was in the newsies he was in empire of the sun like he was a kid actor you know he was definitely around but to your point i think he needed something a little dark a little uncomfortable to get people talking about his performance and that was definitely american psycho and truthfully, like, I think we might have talked about this in another episode with who is your Batman. Oh, yeah. Michael Keaton, obviously. But My guy. Bale, he's a good Batman. Like, I could argue Very that good. if Michael Keaton didn't have the, like, nostalgia, like, OG vibes about him, I would choose Christian Bale. He was amazing. I feel like the comparison is longtime Bond fans not wanting to say that Daniel Craig is the best, but in reality, he might be the best. No, see, like James that's Bond. me. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> see, but like he could on on a, an objective scale. It's like, wait, is he though? Like six films, he did such an incredible job. He kind of came from the dust because nobody wanted him as Bond. You know, I guess that's not the same with Christian Bale. People were very welcome to him being Bruce Wayne because he looks the part. He looked incredible for the part, played the part very well. His voice, that's a different story because, you know, I know there was a lot of discourse around that. But I think he's a good pick. My favorite is Michael Keaton as Batman, but I think Christian Bale might be the best. Like, I think he might have performed Bruce Wayne and Batman the best. Right. I agree. Sean Connery is the best James Bond. Who? Sean Connery? Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, he has great uh great voice. I just feel like I'd want to watch him. He's he's captivating to me. Every anything he does. I wish I could have like like a meditation with his voice to go to sleep. I hate to say this, but with AI, I feel like that's gonna happen. Like maybe I shouldn't promote that, but maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Number two, Killian Murphy. Yes, six times the Dark Knight trilogy, played Scarecrow in the first movie, and then he popped up briefly in the the later two. Inception, Dunkirk, and then Oppenheimer. What an incredible actor. We've shared some discourse on Killian Murphy. I do think, is it 27, 28 days later? I haven't seen that film, but that's what got him on the map with Danny Boyle. It's like this zombie kind of a post-apocalyptic. 28 days later. 28 days later. Yeah. And then he's kind of been in this these rom-coms. And I know Red Eye was like this kind of serious dark role that put him on the map which he doesn't care for but a lot of people love it my girlfriend loves it i think it's a movie that is easily entertaining but peaky blinders is the number one i think that's what like really opened the doors to say this guy is one of the best actors in the entire world and then christopher nolan of course has publicly said that he believes killing murphy is the greatest actor of his generation any thoughts on uh killing murphy does he rank like if you're looking at rankings right now would he be in your top five of best actors in 2024 or would he be outside of that list oh 100 percent. yeah not even of this year just <laughs> just in general <laughs> in general of our generation he's so good he's so good and he's another one that's just so adaptable you can't watch something with him and look into his eyes and not just be hypnotized he yes. may be one of the best facial actors of all time great take the, Great the emotions and just everything that he can portray without saying a word, I'll just start crying. Absolutely incredible take. I read the GQ piece on him and I'm putting together a, a video on that, but he mentioned that. Like he mentioned that he felt very confident with the way that he can express his emotions without saying anything. And he said that that was perfect for the Oppenheimer slate because a lot of it is his internal emotions showing through his face. And I thought it was kind of a unique story, which he doesn't deny 
But Matt Damon talked about how they would always, you know, while shooting in New Mexico, they would stay at this hotel because it was in the middle of nowhere. And they would all go to this one restaurant every night, like all the cast. And he would never join them in, th- in the entire, I think it was six months of shooting. They didn't join, he didn't join them once, but rather he'd go back and his detox, his like peace of mind would be taking a bath reading the script and having almonds that was like his his one thing he would allow himself to do and i'm like dude that is insane so he was asked hey did you live off of one almond a day and he's like no it was more than one but i was like wait you actually just lived off of almonds because you wanted to get this part yeah. perfect i mean it worked he got it perfect i thought that it was the best performance of the year yeah Kelly murphy great actor but he's not number one on this list number one is the one and only beautiful actor Michael Caine who was in the prestige he's in the Dark Knight trilogy as Alfred he's in Inception Interstellar he's in a voice credited role in Dunkirk Tenant tidbit on Michael Caine talk about him in a second get your favorite film or a film that resonates with you from Michael Caine Nolan gave Michael Caine a special shout out when he accepted the BFI fellowship at the British Film Institute chairman's dinner and he shared that Caine told him So Nolan asked Michael Caine to join Oppenheimer. And Michael Caine's reaction to this was, okay, enough is enough. In response to not getting Michael Caine, Nolan's like, okay, I need to make up for this because this is an incredible actor, one of the best of all time. And he's like, the way that I made up was I got Matt Damon, I got Robert Downey Jr., Kenneth Branagh, Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, Josh Hartnett, Killian Murphy, Tom Conti. And I thought that was one of the most beautiful tributes to an actor who has been through a lot. If you're talking about first credits, because I saw this the other day, I believe it was in the 40s was his first acting credit, which is outrageous. So at 90 years old, Kane did announce his retirement from acting. I am curious, what film do you immediately think of when you think of Michael Kane? I'm looking at his first credit. Oh my God, he has so many credits. Yeah, it's like one. 1946. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? He was in a TV movie as T Boy, uncredited. <laughs> 1946. I can't believe he's that old. He's I know. one that's like, I get it because he's just done so much. He's been like the same age in everything I've seen him in. So I never think that he's ever like getting older. I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's Michael King. He's just he's always the same. He has 175 credits. Props to him. Massive props to him. What's one? What's the one that you think of or one that maybe you like more than others? This is another one, again, that I think it depends, like, kind of what you recognize him from. Like his role as Victor and Miss Congeniality is like. It's so memorable. It's, it's so, so memorable. It's so yes. good. And again, I think people forget that that's him. And like, how did they even get him to do that role? Yeah. But I mean, Alfred in The Dark Knight, you can't beat that. He's so good. I mean, he's good in everything he does. But his Alfred, I think, is the best one. His Alfred has the most personality, has the most father-like characteristics. Whereas the Alfreds of the past have always been this help this assistance this person to kind of lean on but never somebody to give advice which in the dark knight rises is completely underrated i think alfred essentially telling bruce wayne i'm done because i cared about you too much i can't yep. do this anymore that was a pivotal point as his character arc so the dark knight is a big one i'm not gonna watch you kill yourself yeah. basically exactly yeah he's a father figure to him versus yep. alfred's usually more of like a butler Exactly. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to your point, there's just no personality built around that character in most of the adaptations. Miss Congeniality was on my list. This was number three because it is very memorable. 
Um, I believe this was the same year that he won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. So it's kind of funny that he won this Oscar and then went to play this part, which is such a fun movie. I think the first Miss Congeniality is very enjoyable. I have eight older siblings, so I grew up on classic Sandra Bullock and these early 2000s films. And then The Prestige. I think Cutter from The Prestige, because it's my favorite movie and I revisit that movie so often, I think that one sticks out to me. Any other bits on Christopher Nolan, on Killian Murphy, on Michael Caine? Anything that you have on top of your mind before we dive into the 2024 movie digest? I think just with Christopher Nolan, I feel like I've probably said this in other episodes too. I just think what you were talking about with the CGI and stuff like that, how he just doesn't do any of that. He doesn't believe yeah. in that. Or like how Oppenheimer was shot in IMAX. And I love the photos with Killian Murphy. There's the one of him like laying in that bed when he's in the hospital. And then yeah. big IMAX camera over top of him in his face. Just the commitment to his craft that Christopher Nolan has. In the film, they go and build Los Alamos out in the middle of the desert. That wasn't even just filming it. That was they actually did build it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because he wanted it to be real. He didn't want it to be upset. Inception, when they're doing that scene where they're running around in the hallways and it's spinning around, he built a hallway and hung it from the ceiling. Yep. And put him on, put them on. Oh, like a harness? Like they, put they, they in like... a harness. Yeah. 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 Running around in circles in this hallway, hanging vertically. I mean, yeah, it's why he's one of the best directors of our time, probably ever. Yep. You just, you don't see that anymore. And again, yeah. Props to CGI, props to the people that can make that magic happen. I definitely couldn't do it. But because of that, what he does is just so much more incredible. But he's like, no, I'm if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it for real. And I think that's quality you don't see very often these days. It's exactly why he's my favorite. You nailed it so flat on the head because, you know, Inception was a great example. When they're in the bar and the water is tilting, just the water tilting, they had to create an entire set just for that water to move where... He could have used CGI easily, cut the cost no matter what, but he's not that way. In Oppenheimer, they filmed in Oppenheimer's home. They filmed only in one stage set. Everything else was on location in Los Alamos and in the chapel and in the school and everything that they worked in. I think he just doesn't, he doesn't cut corners. And I know that that's like saying it bluntly and very just like simple, but in the grand scheme of things, when you're making a $200 million film or a $100 million film, using every bit of that for practicality rather than cutting corners and keeping some of that, I think that just goes a long way. And he just shows so much in his characters. In Oppenheimer, same thing. Even beyond just not building sets and filming in real life and doing real explosions instead of computerized ones. I mean, like the the scene towards the end of Oppenheimer where they're having the hearing and they're in that little kind of conference room. They were actually in that little conference room. It wasn't, you know, a stage where the camera's yep. here with a fake room in front of them. And Emily Blunt even said in an interview, I think it was Emily Blunt that said it, that when they were in there, it wasn't hard to act cramped and uncomfortable and you're hot because you're in this stuffy room with like 17 people because they actually were doing that, you know, and it's, yeah. it brings so much out of his actors it's like kind of scary to say, but they're put in these real life situations where it brings out their emotions so much more. And that's, it comes across on the screen 
every time. And they can actually act. They can share their talent, what they've worked hard for, rather than stand there with a green screen behind them and just try to imagine what they're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just hard. So great points. Christopher Nolan, my favorite. My, I would recommend him and his films all day, every day. I do think Memento is kind of a hidden classic. I think Insomnia with Robin Williams as an antagonist is kind of a surprising film for Christopher Nolan. Let's get into the 2024 movie digest. So we do have some some categories. This is how we'll, we'll list it out. So we're going to share our predictions slash projections for the best movies that are coming out each month. So January through December, the best acting performances, both male and female, best and worst superhero projects, the best sequels and or reboots, the best animated films, the best first time performance or directorial debut, and what movies do we think will earn a billion dollars at the box office? So, you are my guest. Because we're past January, what was your favorite movie that came out? Well, that's what I was going to say. Now I'm like, what came out in January? I don't even remember. Okay, if you want to start in March, we can. Because that, that is kind of retrospect. Because th- now it's just like, oh, that was our favorite. January for me was Society of the Snow, which is technically a 2023 film. But it was released to the general public in January. Or Origin, which was also a 2023 film that had a wide release in January. So I don't even know if those both count. Yeah. Both of those movies would be on my list. And so January is a tough month for movies anyway, so it might be tough to find one. But if you have one, great. If not, we can move on to the months that we haven't seen yet. Let's do that because now I'm like, I don't even remember. I feel like after the holidays, I will say, okay, I will say January is Sundance. You were also Mm -hmm. at Sundance. We Mm -hmm. saw some great films at Sundance. Well, you were at Sundance. I was watching Sundance from home. <laughs> um, yeah, you ditched us this year. I don't know why. You just didn't. You didn't want to come to the snow. I see how it is. Get me started. I wish I had been there <laughs> next year. No, I was warm at home in Los Angeles. Yep. Yep. Um, can't complain. But there were some really great films at Sundance this year. I was able to screen Little Death and. What's it called? A Real Pain. A Real Pain. Yeah. Yep. Which were great. A Real Pain is was amazing. Um, another one that like, did you see that one? A Real Pain? I did not. I did not see A Real Pain. Very buzzy at Sundance. One of the and most was, buzz films. It was yeah. picked up during the festival. It was picked up like really yeah. early on. That one is Kieran Culkin and Jesse Eisenberg. That one was really great. Another one that kind of makes you feel uncomfortable and you kind of, you end the film being like, did I like it? Did I not? Kind of what just happened. But that one is really one that if you're a Succession fan and a Kieran Culkin fan, he really, really, really gets to flex his acting chops in that one. So when that becomes widely available, definitely check that one out. He's he's great in that. Directed by Jesse Eisenberg as well and mm-hmm. produced by Emma Stone's production company. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of talent around this film of like, funny enough, what we grew up with. Like we grew up with Jesse Eisenberg as an actor, yep. as a young actor, you know, in the social network and even as Lex Luthor in the Superman film, seeing him kind of expand. And this isn't his first film, but as a sophomore directorial project with somebody like Kieran Culkin. I think it's one. I mean, I was very bummed that I didn't get to see it, but I've heard great things. A lot of people that were in kind of my connections at Sundance saw it. They loved it. It was on their top three of the entire film list that they saw. Great pick. That's a good one to keep an eye out for. That's another that's another buzzy one that that is getting released. March, I think, is the wider release. Coming out soon. That was one that premiered at Sundance that I'm I'm seeing that next week. I'm seeing it soon. Kristen Stewart. That's one that's. Very, very buzzy at well. So I know that's 
on the March list, but it premiered in January, so it still counts. A wild film. I'm very excited to hear what you think I'm once you see that one. It. Yeah. All right, let's start with March then. Let's start with March. I don't know if this is going to be a surprise. I, I assume you and I might have the same, but if we don't, great. But what is your pick for March? My pick of what I'm excited for or my pick about what I think is going to be big? What do you think will be the best? The best, just like the best overall film. So I'm really excited to see Roadhouse just because. Oh, okay. I like this. This is a good surprise. The, like nostalgia behind it, but also they have such a great cast. And it's been a minute they since do. we've seen Jake Gyllenhaal do like main character energy in something. And the training and everything he went through for this film was amazing. So I'm really excited for that one. But I think the best is doing part two. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid the discourse because I don't want to get too excited, but the discourse is outrageous oh, right now. I mean, even one of my colleagues who didn't love the first one has seen the second one and was like one of the best films I've ever seen. Ah, see, that's where I'm like, I, I, I gotta, I gotta like go in so level headed, yeah. so neutral minded because I, I try not to get emotional about anything before I go in. I try to like whether it's a Nolan film. Like, I remember going to Oppenheimer. I was like, hey, I fully accept if I hate this film, I'm going to hate this film. But I ended up loving it, of course. And that's what I'm trying to do with Dune. But that's what I'm hearing. That's all I've been hearing. Best sci-fi movie ever. Best sci-fi movie since Star Wars. It's our Empire Strikes Back. I'm hearing all of this discourse. So there's a lot of hype. I do think that's my movie. I do think that will be the best of March. But that's like us kind of getting out of the the tougher months of movies. So Wait, I have a question for you. Yeah. You said you try not to get emotional or whatever, have too much like prior ears when you're going into a movie. Are you somebody who watches trailers before you go into movies or do you like to go in blind? I do watch trailers. I try not to read reviews because then I think that messes with my psychology, that messes with like what I'm viewing the movie because then I say, oh, I saw this person give it a five star or a four star or a two star. And then I'm like, I feel maybe a little bit of pressure to keep that or to like see it similarly when, you know, John Wick 4. I didn't enjoy it. I gave it, I think, a two or two and a half out of five, but everybody gave it a four or five. And I think there was a little pressure that was like, hey, I need to like this film because I saw the ratings and the discourse beforehand. So that's more so. Do you watch trailers? Do you stay in the loop? I usually do. Um, Every once in a while, I don't. And I will say... I do really enjoy the experience when I don't watch it. It's just, it's really different. Yeah. And I think it is fun to go in having no idea what to expect. That's what makes Sundance very refreshing because they typically don't have trailers. They don't have any, you know, promotional material up to that point. So you really are going in blind and you don't know besides other people maybe hearing about it at the festival. And that's the only discourse around it. So I do like that. Refuses to watch trailers ever. Like has never really? seen a trailer. Yeah. So it is it is kind of like a hot button thing. But I mean, also like for my job, I usually watch them and kind of have to sometimes. But if I can if I can go in blind, sometimes I, I will just for fun. Yeah. You gotta mix it up every now and then. Yeah. All right, what what about April? What do you have on the list here? You go first for April. Okay. I have two films, but I, I kind of have one outweighing the other. So I put Challengers, which as Zendaya stars her as a, a tennis player, she kind of has this love triangle with, with these two other male tennis players. It's directed by Luca Guadagnino, who did Call Me By Your Name, oh, Bones and All, that horror film with Timothy Chalamet. Call Me By Your Name is so good. That's one of my favorites. Absolutely. A near masterpiece. Luca is such an incredible director. Like the 
I digress. I can talk about him. As yeah, he's well incredible. That's incredible. That's why I'm excited. I'm more excited for challengers because of Luca, whereas I know most people are more excited because of Zendaya. Yeah. And I just think it's a bonus that both of them are working together. So I see what Luca brought out in Timothy Chalamet. And now I'm very excited to see what he brings out in Zendaya as an actor. So very excited for that one. I also put Civil War, which is an Alex Garland movie. Um, Alex Garland did Ex Machina. He did Annihilation. He has this very dark yet realistic outlook on storytelling, on the world. And this looks like a very hot topic film when it comes to where we are now and, and technology. Just to, I feel like she kind of appears every once in a while and does yeah. amazing and then disappears for a while. So I'm excited to see her reemerge because usually it's great. And Jesse Plemons is in it too, who is her husband. So. Yeah, I imagine if they did it together, it's probably a good project. So those two are my April films, which I'm excited for. I feel like April's where things start brewing. We start getting a lot more films to consider. Yeah. What about you? I agree with those. Another one that's been really, really buzzy is Ministry of Ungentlemen Warfare. Mm. I haven't watched the trailer yet, and that is one that I'm purposely holding on to watch the trailer. But it's Guy Ritchie. It's Henry Cavill. I'm excited Helen Richton is in it, who we know from Reacher, who I love from Reacher, yep. Henry Golding, Alex Pettifer. Like, it's a very, like, unique cast and a unique grouping to put together. So I'm very curious what's going to happen with that one. I agree with your other call-outs. I will say my kind of honorable mention sleeper for April is Abigail. <laughs> Oh, okay. I don't, I've not heard much about Abigail. Okay, so Abigail is the one, this trailer I did see, and it's amazing, except it's one that like kind of gives away the story in the trailer. Oh, yes. So, like, okay, I have trailer seen this. If you are curious about it, but it's basically about this kid ballerina, this little girl who gets kidnapped and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> I was going to say, are you going to share? Because that is. Spoiler, don't watch the trailer if you're going to see it. Go watch the trailer. That's a good twist in the trailer for sure. Yeah. So don't watch the trailer if you're thinking about seeing it. But it's a good, I think it's going to be a good kind of surprise, like campy horror. Yeah. Also good names in that movie. Very fun names. I, I also like your take on the Guy Ritchie film because I think Guy Ritchie is a little bit more of a an elevated Matthew Vaughn who did Argyle and I know it was not well received, but I think if you like the Kingsman movies, then you'll like this one because Guy Ritchie kind of started that. He started the whole like fast action, almost like punchy comedy type movies. And I think that that will be another one of them. All right, let's go to May. Do you want me to go or you want to share your May picks? I think... One of the big ones for May is Back to Black, which is the documentary. Yeah. Also, kind of fun tidbit about that one. Sam Taylor Johnson directed, who also directed Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, that's a good gem. I did not know that. What that means for the film, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What are we going to see in this documentary or this biopic? I have really high hopes for that one. I think Amy Winehouse's story is just really unique. And I'm honestly surprised it took this long for someone to make a doc like this about her. Yeah. The woman who's starring, who her name escapes me now, but she's kind of an up and coming actress. So I'm hoping that this does a lot for her career too. Yeah. Marissa Abella. Yes, Marissa. I was going to say Melissa. Marissa, yep. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to see that one. Beyond that, I mean, in May, this is my like guilty pleasure pick, The Fall Guy. You have to pick The nice. Fall Guy. You have it's to. Ryan Gosling. It's Emily Blunt. You know, this is David Leach. This is this is a fun team. If you like it's Bullet really Train, 
this is going to be another fun high, oh, you know, yeah. high Aaron end. Taylor Johnson. People aren't even really talking about how Aaron Taylor Johnson's in this because he's like not like the main character, but he's amazing. And they barely even he's saw so him fun. in the trailer. He's so fun. I do think May is like the blockbuster month. I think that you have the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. You have the Fall Guy. You have If, which is John Krasinski's imaginary friends movie. And then you have Furiosa, Mad Max Saga. So you have like massive films. I think this is where people are going to be flooding the theaters to go see these these movies that are going to be marketed very well. A guilty pleasure is a good word. I think I have a guilty pleasure with the Planet of the Apes films. I think the Matt Reeves films were really good. I can't remember who directed the first one, but I liked the first one. And this is a direct continuation of that trilogy. So this is the fourth film. And I'm excited. I think that the first three, though they are heavily built around CGI, they feel realistic. They feel practical. I think that's a really weird combination, but it works for me. The Fall Guy, just because of how much I enjoyed Bullet Train, that's on my list. If, because of how much I enjoyed The A Quiet Place and how much I like John Krasinski just as a person and knowing his style of emotional you know, sentiment. I think that's going to be a good film. And Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds is the star. And you have an incredible voice cast. I did not ever see Mad Max Fury Road, so I don't know what to take oh. with Furiosa. I know. That's that's a big, buzzy movie that I've never seen. And this is apparently a prequel to that one. So I guess we'll see. I'm also excited for Mad Max. I will say I'm excited to see... So Anya Taylor-Joy is the star. And like you said, it's the prequel... She's going to be playing young Charlize Theron from Fury Road. And Chris Hemsworth is in it. There's kind of a unique cast in that one, too. And Very unique. talking about Chris Hemsworth much, but he's the big part in it. Yeah. I'm excited to see Anya in a part like this that is more action-packed. Because I feel like she kind of usually does... She's drama. Theater, the drama, like that kind yeah. of vibe. Which she's great in, but I'm excited to see her kind of expand her... Change of pace. Yeah. I'm interested to see how that one goes. Because especially since Fury Road, Mad Max Fury Road, Charlize Theron in that role has such a like cult following. So there's also kind of a lot... Ooh. Could we get a split audience of people who are like, no, because Charlize Theron's not in it? I think there's a lot of pressure on this okay. to see what they do with it. Okay, that's a that's a good take. I I'm, I think that makes it more interesting when you have a film that's created by the same creator who's done all the Mad Max movies, including the 1980s Mad Max. So you have the same vibe. It's going to be the same energy, but you have different actors, different actors that you, you grew to love in a previous film that's not going to be in this one, unless there's a cameo of a flash forward. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. All right, what about June? Who do you have for June? Or what do you have for June? Okay, June is like a, is a big one. It is a big one. I think for June... Okay, I have multiple. I can't pick one. <laughs> I know, me too. It's it's all right. Inside Out 2. Very anticipated, yes. Coming out in June, which the first one is just, I think I cried the entire time. Phenomenal. I love what they're doing with the sequel and going along with the little girls as she's getting older and they're adding all these new emotions. Like the fact that they added anxiety is just incredible. And they're adding more emotions too that we haven't even actually found out about yet. Because yeah, just from the trailer, the trailer they only show anxiety. They're like sneaky. There's going to be more than one, and they only introduce yep. anxiety. And I mean, Amy Poehler, anything she's attached to, you can do no wrong, you know. So I'm excited for that one. A Quiet Place, the prequel to A Quiet Place is coming out. A Quiet Place looks good. It I looks think good. Pretty good. I think that 
I love that series so much. I think the first one, obviously, again, Emily Blunt, she's talking about Emily Blunt, she's amazing. John Krasinski, I thought that that first one, the original, was so fantastic. What they did with the sequel with Killian Murphy, who people don't yep. talk a lot about how he's in that one. With Emily Blunt. With Emily Blunt. Who's also an Oppenheimer. Right. Incredible. So I'm curious. I'm always kind of iffy about a prequel, you know, because, I mean, like yeah. you said with Mad Max, you don't want people to be like, oh, you should have just left it what it was. We don't need to see the before. Lupita Nyong'o, who's playing the star in this one, she's amazing. She's incredible. She can do anything. She's, she's what gives me hope for this film because John Krasinski is not involved. I mean, at least not on the directorial side. He might have executive produced it, but he's not involved in the filmmaking side. He did the first two films. Him not doing this film, at least not directing it, that's my one qualm where I'm like, ooh. Whereas in the Mad Max movie, like it's made by the same filmmaker, all three of them. And that's where I, I have a, a tiny hiccup. I, that doesn't mean it's not going to be good. But knowing his vibe and his energy and his tone that he created, I just want them to keep that. I want them to just enhance it and build off of it. So this is Michael Sarnowski, I believe his name is. Yeah. And he did Pig, you know, he did, which is kind of a low-key Nicolas Cage movie that I hear is really good. I didn't get the chance to see it. So I don't know. I, I, I'm i excited still. I, I do love Lupita Nyong'o. And we have Joseph Quinn, who's kind of making headlines. He's in the new Fantastic Four movie. He was in Stranger Things as Eddie, and he was beloved in Stranger Things. So we kind of have this cast forming together to hopefully have a good film. So that's a good pick. John Krasinski is credited as one of the writers on this one, too. So Sweet. Okay. Yeah. So he's that. And he obviously wrote the original story. So it would be hard to, it would be hard to do it. <laughs> but people do it. Yes. So you never know. Yeah. My one other, it's been moved a couple times. So I don't know if it's going to stay in June, but I hope it does. Is It ends with us. Oh, Okay. That's kind of a, if you're into the book to movie realm of cinema, that's going to be a big one. I mean, Colleen Hoover is an author that just has kind of taken the world by storm in the past few years. And now eight or nine of her novels have now all been optioned to be made into series or films. Mm. So she's doing a lot. Um, So this is one that's based on It Ends With Us, which is one of her biggest. I think I've read quite a bit of hers and I think this is... Her second best one after Verity, which is also being made into, I forget if it's a series or film, but that's going to be coming up too. Love this novel and Blake Lively and Justin Baldoni are the stars in it. Justin Baldoni is also directing. Whoa, okay. And directing. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's a minute since we've seen Blake Lively do something that's super buzzy like this. I'll admit when they announced this casting, I love Blake Lively to death. I was a little surprised by the casting of her in this role, which I hope will be a good thing, you know, to kind of see her doing something different. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious about this one. I'll definitely be seeing that one. And it's it's always hard when there's a book to movie title because there are yep. so many opinions. And I'm one of them, too. It's hard to make a movie based on a book. If there's one thing off from what the story is in the book that fans of the book don't like, it's not going to be good. Well, take the other side, right? If you have a movie that's beloved, say The Dark Knight is beloved, created by Christopher Nolan, and some author wants to make an adaptation of The Dark Knight and write it, like you're you're obviously going to have some like, ooh, I don't know if they should be doing that. Yeah. Even though it could be really great, you're just taking something that's beloved, that's trusted by an audience, and you're doing something different. So I hope it's good. Blake Lively, I have not seen her in like 
anything recently. Yeah. So I hope that she gets some buzz. I hope that she gets some buzz for this. Yeah. My pick, because I did have honorary mentions. I did have Inside Out 2 and A Quiet Place Day 1 listed. I am very excited for The Bike Riders. This is a Jeff Nichols film starring Austin Butler, Tom Hardy, Jodie Comer, who's one of the most underrated female actors. She's Truly, so she is so incredible. And she spends a lot of the time, you know, in theater and and doing stage productions. So we don't see her a lot. But she was in Free Guy, which is kind of a fun role. And then she was in The Last Duel, which really kind of, I, I was captivated by her performance. So I heard Austin Butler is so good in this movie. Jeff Nichols had nothing but praise for him as an actor and his willingness to just expand and go further and to dig deeper in places that he's never gone before. So this was pushed from last year. This was supposed to release. It's been pushed quite a bit because of the strikes, and that's understandable. So very excited. That's my film. July. Any thoughts here? I mean, there's one big movie coming out in July. I don't know if there's uh, you know, other small films that you might be interested in. Yeah. There are two big movies actually coming out in July. Well, I think the biggest one is Deadpool and Wolverine. Yep. I recently saw, I think it broke a record as like the most viewed trailer ever yes right? i saw that yes which is kind of surprising to me but it did they released it during the super bowl so i get it they like really capitalized on the hype so what seven million dollars gets you yeah but <laughs> i'm shocked that it broke that record truly yeah but i guess i mean deadpool people love ryan reynolds people love hugh jackman having in their besties in real life and people love yep. their roles separately and now they're coming together and it's this whole thing there's just so much that people love kind of all wrapped into one in this film i hope it's as good as people want it to be not to mention it's the one film that might quote unquote save the mcu because it's different it's their first rated r film the mcu and marvel in general with the disney slate has kind of been struggling i know that they've had some difficult circumstances with Kang and Jonathan Majors in that situation. Yep. So I think this is their opportunity to kind of shift to help propel things back to the excitement of, you know, Endgame, Spider-Man, Infinity War, kind of that, that slate that everybody was excited for. <laughs> so that is my, that's listed number one for me. I will say I had the chance of watching DD at Sundance and I absolutely adored DD. It was one of, if not my favorite film at Sundance. And so I put that number two because I think everybody should watch that. If you're a fan of mid-90s and that early 2000s childhood, which that was my childhood. So it, I really gravitated toward my emotions and my nostalgia. And then you have Twisters, you know, which is a reboot of the original Twister, which if you're not, I guess if you're a Gen Z, you probably never watched it. But it is a great classic. Uh, Helen Hunt is phenomenal. I, I just love that film. I grew up on it. I watched it every year. So those three, I think, are, are movies to keep an eye out for. Yeah, no, I'll agree with that. Twisters, I didn't know that they were making a new Twisters. When they played that trailer during the Super Bowl, everybody was like, what is this? <laughs> Glenn yep. Powell? What? Yeah, talk about Glenn Powell making a splash. Right. He's in three movies this year, I He's believe. He's doing a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Daisy Edgar Jones is doing this too, which is just so funny. Yeah, it's. I think that that one will hopefully be fun even just with the cast anthony ramos like it's a good it's a good cast and everything um i will say too about dd that you mentioned a lot of my colleagues did also saw that at sundance and had nothing but great things to say so i'm happy that that one's gonna be getting released sooner rather than later i agree i've been seeing some films that are released this month or next month from last year's sundance oh I'm like, wow it's been that's how long it takes 
That's outrageous to me. Like some of these films. There are some things that I screened for Sundance last year that never even got picked up. Like, I don't know if they'll mm. ever come out, you know? Or right. Somebody just the other day was like, oh, have you seen this? Like it just got released on Netflix or something. And I was like, I watched that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I saw that a year and a half ago. What the? <laughs> I've seen it. I watched it last January. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy how long the Sundance films take. So yeah, the ones that are kind of coming up now i'm happy that that buzz can keep going because otherwise people yeah. forget i agree all right august which in my opinion a tougher month <laughs> i i think you know especially if you don't have the big oppenheimer barbie slate of last year's july then you know i think august august maybe in general is a tougher month but do you have a pick here is there is there one that kind of speaks to you you go first yeah this was tough i put a movie called borderlands this is directed by eli roth who did thanksgiving I also find Eli Roth very admirable because he's an actor in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. He's great in that film. This stars Kate Blanchett, who I trust more than most female actors. I just think she is pristine, one of the best, truly remarkable. If you haven't seen Tar, I mean, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the movie Tar, but I'm a big fan of her performance. So that's one that is piquing my interest. I'm not a diehard Alien fan, but Alien Romulus comes out, and I've heard Ridley Scott is is praising this film. He's not a part of it. He didn't make it, but he's praising it. It seems similar to Prey, which was released on Hulu as like kind of a spinoff of the Predator franchise. Yep. Low budget, independent feel, but really, really good story, and this feels similar. The movie I want to ask you about is Craven the Hunter. Like, I want to hear if you have any thoughts about our boy Aaron Taylor Johnson, we just mentioned him, taking on this lead role in a Sony Marvel film that, quite frankly, does not look good. So I, I just want to hear what you think about that film. It doesn't look good. I will agree with that. And again, I love Aaron Taylor Johnson. I don't know, man. These kind of, like, side superhero movies that, like, aren't really superhero movies, this yep. is giving me Morbius vibes. Yes, very much so. Great take. He's a Great take. good thing. And again... No, nope, not a good thing. Well, <laughs> I love Jared Leto. I rushed to see that movie. But that's one that's just, like, oh, it's, like, so bad that it's good. And I'm hoping... You're like, Aaron, this isn't fueling the, the 007 James Bond yeah. campaign. Okay, I need yeah. something to fuel that campaign. I'm hoping that this is another one that's like so bad that it's good and a comedy. <laughs> like almost just campy. Almost yeah. you want to revisit it with friends just so that you can see their reaction. Yeah. Okay. I will say though, another one that's coming out in August is Speak No Evil. Oh, yeah. This has been buzzy. James McAvoy, who is so scary. <laughs> So scary and so good. He's so, 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 so talented. And he's so good in like creepy, disturbing, weird roles. Like, I mean, go watch Split if you oh, want to see a disturbing role. <laughs> one of the best. He's so talented. Split is one of one of my favorites. He got no he got no love for that movie either. And I it was truly one of the one of my favorite acting performances. It it just moved me in an uncomfortable way. Yeah. And I, I love that. I mean, we've talked about horror. I could talk about horror all day. I love the type of horror that just like makes you feel uncomfortable and you're like, yes, don't know what to do with yourself. So I'm curious about this one. We'll see. I'll Anything that's kind of this vibe with him in it will be great. The director of this is James Watkins, who also did the Black Mirror episode, Shut Up and Dance, in the newest mm. season of Black Mirror. And Black Mirror also always has that tone of like, I'm uncomfortable. Very weird. Very mystical. Very yeah. just like, yeah, off-putting. Yeah, which is great. So cool. we'll see. That's a good one. I like that you put that. Speak no evil. That's going to be on my watch list. I actually did not come across that one. So I'm glad you mentioned it. 
Um, September, we have two movies, one that's nostalgic for me and one that I do have a lot of excitement for. So the one that's nostalgic is Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, a.k.a. Beetlejuice 2. I am a, a big fan of the original. Tim Burton's back. Michael Keaton is back as Beetlejuice. Winona Ryder is back. And her daughter in the film, Jenna Ortega, is also making an appearance. So I'm excited for this film. Jenna Ortega is the new Tim Burton actor that just gravitates toward all of his projects. And I love that. The film that I'm excited for is called Wolves, which is funny. It's not called Wolves, but it's Wolves. <laughs> uh, this is directed by John Watts, who did the, the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. And it's starring Brad Pitt and George Clooney. So they're kind of reuniting in this non-Ocean's Eleven movie that feels kind of Ocean's Eleven. And I'm excited for that. I think you have a great director who kind of knows how to please audiences. And then you bring in two of the the classic actors that everybody knows, everybody adores. So that's the one I'm excited for. And then Beetlejuice, that's just nostalgic. I'll agree with those. I'm not the biggest Beetlejuice person only because... I, it wasn't really a thing that I saw like when I was a kid. I don't have that kind of connection to it. But I mean, I'll agree that like this cast is amazing. Catherine O'Hara also was recently announced to join the cast. Is she back? No way. Oh my, that's exciting. I did not know that. That was like just recently announced. I mean, I'll watch anything that she does. Yeah. Willem Dafoe is in it also. Who yeah, great take. Great. Yeah, totally forgot okay. to mention. We'll talk about yeah. his will and four things all day too. So yeah, maybe maybe I'll finally maybe I'll finally see this one. My pick for September, which should be no surprise to you, is they're making another Saw movie. Yes, you are a Saw fan. I forgot. I forgot. I am not the biggest Saw fan, so I want to hear your take. I want to hear because I thought that the last one was their last one. Like I thought that was the end of Saw, but I guess that's how they'd say it every they didn't year. They actually but. say it was the end. They just said it was the. The culmination of all of them and it was like it that one was another prequel that was a prequel kind oh okay place between the first and second original films okay so this one is technically like saw 11 that's all we really Wild. know about it we don't know if it's going to be just a new kind of separate story if it's going to be a continuation of saw 10 that came out last year we don't really know um i will say or saw X, whatever they're calling it, 10 X. Um, I will say that that one is my favorite of the entire Saw franchise. So Whoa. I, great claim. Great, great acclaim well, on that one. I'm curious what this one's going to be because truthfully, I think they could have ended the franchise with this one and it would have been a great swan song. Yeah. So I'm I'm nervous for this. I'm, I'm nervous that I'm going to see this and then wish that they had ended with the other one. So we'll see what happens. I'm no like distaste toward horror in 2023, but you can't get much worse than the horror movies in 2023. So it sounds like we at least have something to look forward to. Hey, you know, you respect on talk to me's name. That's the only good film from 2023 horror wise. So yes, I agree. Talk to me was a great horror film, but I needed like five more of those. Yeah, like g- give me enough to talk about, but yes, great, great take. They're making a second one. So keep an eye out for that one. Yep. I believe it's going to release next year. We have smile Two coming out this year. So if you were a fan of the original smile, we do have that sequel. Yep. Uh, what about, what about October? I have one film listed here. Smile only one was on my October honorable mentions just because I did, was it. Okay. I really love the first one. I'm curious what it's going to be. Cause I feel like that was kind of a standalone story. So it was, yeah, that's what I'm intrigued by. I'm like, wait, how do you continue this story? Is it yeah. going to be an anthology, right. you know, movie like, different characters i don't, I don't know. know um but obviously the october pick has to be joker too 
Joker. Yep. I am so excited for this movie. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people are not excited. I'm hearing a lot of people have a lot of uh, reservations because it's a musical. And that's almost making me more excited because I don't think it's going to be a greatest showman standard musical right. that people think about. It's not going to be like the whole thing is singing. Yeah, I think it's just going to be a dark, like this dark love story that's going to kind of seep out with Harley Quinn. Lady Gaga, by the way, one of the best artists, music artists transitioning into actor like duos. I think she's one of the best to do it with A Star is Born and now Joker Folia Doe. So I'm excited. This is definitely very high on my watch list. Yeah. And Lady Gaga, I think people are kind of nervous to see her in this role and they forget that she's done this. She was in American Horror Story and she was great. So she's yep. won these kind of creepy, weird roles before. And she is. She's a great actress. Very and good. She's also just like naturally has that kind of weird, creepy vibe. Like she's so good at that. And she's kind of yep. built her whole career sort of on that. So I think that this could be really, really great. Obviously, Walking Phoenix, he won an Oscar for the first one. So yep. incredible. I would be really shocked if this didn't end up being good. Yeah, same. Same. I Todd Phillips is just He's so caring about Joker. I know he made the Hangover movies, and I know those were a lot of fun, but he has publicly spoken about his just outrageous adoration for this this movie and what he's been able to put into it. And it took him a long time to create the second script, so I don't think he rushed it. He had no timetable. He wasn't forced to create something a year after the original. I mean, the, uh, the first one came out in 2019, mm-hmm. so this will be five years since that happened, so... Yeah, I'm excited. This I think this is going to be a good film. November, big blockbuster month. What do you have on your list? My number one is Wicked. Let's go. Wicked part one. That's number one on my list as well. The only one I need to talk about. I cried when I watched the teaser during the Super Bowl. Oh, I'm so excited. I mean, it's my favorite play. I've seen play like five times. I love it so much. I'm excited about the roles. I think Cynthia Erivo is going to be a great alphaba. Ariana Grande, I mean, both of them are so musically talented that I think it would be hard. Yeah. This would be another one that it would be hard for it not to be good, at least for that part alone. Then you have Jonathan Bailey playing the role of the prince, whatever his name is. I forget it. He is one handsome fellow, you know? He is so just one very, too. very, and yes, he very talented. Is such a good singer, and people don't realize that. I don't know that. Oh my God. Okay. Wait, I need to look it up. Because there is this video that is... Video. I love the typing, just like the excitement in your typing. You know, you can hear that. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. My nails, you can hear my nails click, click, click. Okay, everybody needs to look this up. Google Jonathan Bailey last five years audition. And it is just like a six minute video of him singing this song to audition for this part. And it is, I literally will just go watch it sometimes for fun when I like am in my feels and I'll just cry. Okay. He's so talented. He has a lot of range. He's another one that has a lot of range that people don't really realize. Like a lot of people I think just know him from Bridgerton, which yeah, great in Bridgerton, but he's been doing things for a long time. I mean, he was in Crashing, which I think we've talked about before. Crashing. We have talked, yep. The Waller-Bridge series, which was great. Like, he's one that people are kind of sleeping on, and I'm hoping that this is one that brings him a little bit more forward beyond Bridgerton, Um, even though he's also going to be in the new season of Bridgerton, too, coming out in May, which will be great. But I'm excited for this one. And a fun fact, I was fortunate enough to be on the red carpet 
um, of Carol Burnett's birthday last year. Oh, okay. Um, and I got to talk to Kristen Chenoweth. Kristen Chenoweth was the original Glenda on Broadway of Wicked. Oh, okay. Okay. She, so her and Idina Menzel were the original Alphaba and Glenda on Broadway. Nice. She's so good and she's so cute and she's so tiny. <laughs> I got to speak to her on that red carpet and I asked her about the Wicked film and like, you know, how she felt about it. You know, obviously like turning her OG role now into on screen and it turns out that her and Ariana Grande have actually been friends. Like, she's known Ariana since Ariana was, like, a baby. Oh. When Ariana got first got this role, she kind of told Kristen Chenoweth, you know, I'm nervous. Like, I want to make sure I, like, do you proud and, like, all of that stuff, like, with your role. And Kristen said she kind of told her, you know, thank you for wanting to kind of pay homage to me. But, like, I want you to do what you want to do with this role and like just you even saying that to me is the paying homage do do what you want to do make this role your own like she is so excited to see her in this role and i think that that's so special about it too is that they have this cute relationship and have known each other forever and now she's kind of taking on her part on screen um i think that just makes it kind of even more special so i'm i'm really 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 excited for that one Passing the baton, doing something different, maybe still paying a lot of homage, like you mentioned, but still doing something original in her taste and her vibe. I mean, this is directed by John M. Chu, which, you know, he did uh, in the Heights. He did Crazy Rich Asians. So I think there's a a level of lightheartedness, but a level of, you know, emotion that you can really tie into this, which we saw in the trailer. It looks it looks fun, but it looks equally, if you know the story of Wicked, it looks equally dramatized. There's a lot of emotion, a lot of heaviness that can come into this story. So I'm excited for Wicked Part 1. I know some people are a little iffy, but that's okay. You know, this is the first true film adaptation of, of Wicked, and I think that it's going to be, you know, it's two parts, and it's going to be worth watching. That's my only qualm, is that I'm really sad that it's two parts. One, because I don't want to have to wait, but also because, truthfully... I'm kind of nervous. If Have you seen the play? Yeah, I, yeah, I saw the play. Act one, in my opinion, is so much better than act two. And I'm worried that they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot by splitting it up. Mm. Second one isn't going to be as good. You know, I think it's better to go in with that mindset, though. Go in with the, like, expecting the worst, and then maybe you'll get something better rather than True. expecting the best and then getting something worse. True. And know? obviously, it's a film. It's a completely different experience, but I just... I love act one of the play and I'm I'm nervous that I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh Gladiator Two is also releasing this month. So you have Paul Meskel, you have Denzel Washington, you have Pedro Pascal. This is a big movie. Ridley Scott has come back to direct this. Is it necessary? I, I don't think so, but that's okay. I, I still think it's a big movie. Uh, the first one obviously earned Russell Crowe a lot of flowers, earned him a lot of acclaim, kind of propelled him in his career. And to my understanding, Paul Mescal will play the son of Joaquin Phoenix's character from the first film. So it, it will be fun to kind of compare and contrast. It's been 20 years, over 20 years since that first movie was made. So I, I don't know what to expect truly, but great talent around that film. December. Wait, wait, what are your thoughts? November. Um, oh, who's Moana on your November? Two. I did not put Moana 2 because I haven't seen the first one, but I heard the first one's really good. So Moana that is worth on, on my personal most anticipated list, but the people are hyped. 
Mm-hmm. I've only seen the first one once, so I'm not as much of a diehard fan, but people are very, very hyped. The Moana situation is is it's making me a little curious because they made the first one, which is beloved. I have not seen it, so I, I, I don't have much thought to that movie. But the fact that they're making a second one that was announced surprisingly, like it wasn't even announced ahead of schedule to any Disney slate, Disney conference, you know, the D23 event wasn't announced at any of those, you know, conversations. And then you have a live action Moana being made. And that's where I feel little, that's my distaste. I'm like, okay, what are we trying to get out of this? You know, because we're making three movies where from what I hear, the well, first the one is kind of series, I believe. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. I mean, that it still is weird. I agree. Yeah. Live, I believe the live action is a series. And, but even then, yeah, I agree that it's weird that nobody knew this was happening and all of a sudden they're like, okay, it's it's coming in a couple months. Yeah, it's like, let's make money. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, and I hope they're all good, truly, because I've only heard the best things from the first one. Yeah. But yes, keep your eye on Moana too. Uh, December, two films I'm very excited for. I'm curious to see what's on your list. So actually my, my December, which is like kind of just an honorable mention, but I have to mention it, is Nosferatu. That is my number one. Yes. That is my number one. I am so excited for this movie. I mean, I love the original so much. What is it, 1972? Uh, it might be even earlier than that. It might be like 30. Like There's one from like way back in the day. And then there's one from... Oh, yeah. No, 22 um, and 79. And then there's one in the 70s too, right? Yeah. Yeah. 79. Nosferatu yeah. the Vampire. Yeah. Yep. I think it's going to be really good. And I mean, I'm such a big fan just of the story. I took, I actually took a vampires in literature and film class in college. That's um, a cool. Yeah. What? Yeah. Nice. So I got the first time I ever saw the 1922 one was like four class in college and the cast Bill Skarsgård. Who, Amazing. He looks incredible. Have a more perfect casting as Nosferatu than him. Aaron Taylor Johnson, Willem Dafoe, Nicholas Holt, Lily Rose Depp. I mean, directed by Robert Eggers, who did The Northman. He did The Lighthouse. He did The Witch. He is, like, probably the most perfect filmmaker to bring this story back to life. Yep. I am so excited for this movie. Very, very excited. It's Great pick. Me. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. Emma Corrin, too. Emma Corrin, yeah. I don't know the story well enough, but it seems like she might be leading this film, or at least has a, a major role. I think that Lily Rose Depp is kind of the center, like, woman Okay. Who he's obsessed with. Um, but she's listed as one of the stars too. So she must be a pretty big role. Yeah. Keep that on the watch list for any kind of horror fans, anybody who wants this psychological darkness, maybe a little bit of uh, Halloween type vibe to it. Uh, I think the other one. Slated for a Christmas release, which I also love. I love that so much. I, I love the Christmas release. It gets me. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Mufasa the Lion King, yeah. a prequel, an original story, which is the one reason I'm excited. I mean, this is b- by Mary uh, by Barry Jenkins, who did Moonlight, Oscar winning film, beat out La La Land, which that's a, a whole conversation on its own. I didn't like the live action Lion King only because it was a retelling of the original story. It was just the same exact story. Whereas this one is a completely new story. This is original. This is talking about Mufasa becoming the Lion King. I'm sure we'll get a backstory on Scar and how their feud kind of started as brothers and how he maybe had potential and then got shunned. I don't know what to expect, but I know it's going to be original and I trust Barry Jenkins. So those two are definitely high on my my watch list for December. 
I'm nervous about Mufasa only because I I really didn't like the live action line thing oh, at all. There are very few movies that I watch and I get done and I'm like, I wish I could have those two hours back. Yeah. And this was one of them. I'm with you. Truly. I will follow Beyonce till the ends of the earth, but even she couldn't save this. And that's saying something. Yeah. I mean, John Favreau doing the, the live action, which was kind of a weird combination. John Favreau, who created the Mandalorian, he did Elf, he did Iron Man. He's also just, he's a, a great actor. He's a funny actor. But him doing that film with a great cast, you know, Donald Glover, Beyonce, like you said, Seth Rogen, James Earl Jones coming back. I mean, great cast. But I think it just was like, why do I need the same story in a live action format when I have a beautiful story in an animated format? Right. Like, it just didn't really make sense to and me. And the original so. animated one is my favorite Disney movie from childhood. It's great. So Truly you, great. That is one that, like, if you're going to do it, it better be. You better Good. Be <laughs> and it's going to blow everyone out of the water. But I will agree with you that since this one is a new story, that will hopefully give it more of a chance, you know, because yeah. there isn't, you're not going to have the comparison factor, which is always what makes it so hard. Nailed it. I completely agree. Uh, those are our picks for the the months, the, our projections, our predictions. So keep an eye on those films. I do want to ask you, who do you have listed as your predicted best male performances? And then we'll do best female performances. My best female performances, I have Lupita in Quiet Place Day One. Great pick. Cynthia Arrivo in Wicked. I need to pick one of the ladies of Dune 2. They're all okay. so great. Obviously, Zendaya feels like the popular choice, but I'm going to go with Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, great pick. I mean, she's incredible in everything that she does. She's another one. I say this about a lot of people. Doesn't get enough credit. She's so talented. And her role in that film. I mean, we actually we recently did. Um, We interviewed the cast and we asked them. This movie is so focused on each character's eyes. And there's so much close ups on people's eyes. Oh, OK. And we asked the cast, you know, whose eyes kind of entrance you the most. And most of them said Rebecca. Her character is just unique to that story. Yeah. And doesn't get talked about as much because obviously Timmy and Zendaya are the big ticket characters. But I think she's, I'm really excited for her performance in the in the new Dune. I think it's a great take. And for anybody who doesn't know Rebecca Ferguson by name, she plays the mother in Dune Part 1. And her and Timothy Chalamet have a great, great adventure in the first film. And we see a lot of her performance come out. She's definitely in a great spot. And so I'm excited to see her kind of build off of that performance, build off of the foundation. Um, My female actors, this is tough. So I put, I got to pick three, but I put some here that I could kind of sift through. I do think Lady Gaga from Joker Folia Doe is going to be on my list Zendaya from Challengers. I, I'm very excited for her performance in that film just because I trust Luca bringing that talent out of an incredible artist. And then I think, because I do have Cynthia Revo, I have Anya Taylor-Joy. I think I'm going to go with Kirsten Dunst from Civil War. I, I, I trust that, because to your point, she doesn't like do, she kind of comes in and out. You know, she was in The Power of the Dog, which, you know, yeah, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but it was an Oscar-nominated film. It brought out a lot of her performance. So I'm excited to see what she does in that film. So I'd say Zendaya, Kirsten Dunst, and Lady Gaga. I like that. I like that pick. All right. What about your male actors? Who do you have? What's your prediction? Okay. Joaquin Phoenix in Joker 2. You almost have to, right? You have to. He won Best Actor the first time. He's He wins for everything he does. And he's another one that he doesn't do a lot. So when he does something, you know it's going to be incredible. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also, congratulations to him. Him and his wife, Rooney Mara, are currently expecting their second child. She surprised everyone with that at... That's awesome. I think over the weekend on a carpet. I think it was Bathas. Hell yeah. So congratulations to them. Um, so Joaquin is obviously on this list. Bill Skarsgård, who we just talked about, is Nosferatu. Ooh, great pick. Cannot wait. My last one was another toss-up for somebody else from Dune. Timmy is the one that you want to pick because he's the one who's always everything in that film. The original first wave of reviews, Austin Butler is supposed to be outstanding. Oh. And he has this weird role where he's like, looks like a snake or whatever he is. And he's like very demonic. Again, I'm not picking the, the normal quote unquote pick for the Dune 2 cast, but I'm going to go with Austin Butler. That's a great pick. And honestly, your Bill Skarsgård pick got me flustered here because I'm like, shoot, that's a great take. And I I might have to infuse Bill Skarsgård in this list. All right. Um, if this has a release because it was originally going to release in March or April, but now there is no release date. But if Mickey 17 gets released, I'm going to put Robert Pattinson in there because I'm very excited for this combination. Uh, working with Bon Joon-ho, who did Parasite, one of my favorite films of all time. So if that's released, great. If it's not, then we're going to take him out. But I have Joaquin Phoenix from Joker. I have Austin Butler from The Bike Riders. If Robert Pattinson's not in this list, I think I'm going to put Bill Skarsgård. I originally had Timothy Chalamet, but I think Bill Skarsgård will give more of an elusive performance, one that's going to shock us a little bit more. Whereas I kind of know what to expect from Timothy, and I'm excited for it, and it's not going to be bad by any means. It's going to be incredible, I imagine. But I really think Bill Skarsgård is going to show us that he's more than a supporting actor. He's more than Pennywise the Clown. Like, he's a little bit more of an elusive actor. That's going to yeah. be my top three. I like that. You're getting me excited about movies now. This is this is why we do this, right? The best and worst superhero projects. Give me a, Do you want to start with the worst or do you want to start with the best? Do you want the good news or the bad news? Let's start with the bad news. <laughs> okay. Who do you have? Madam Webb. Yeah, this is almost kind of given, right? Because and we, I haven't we even know seen, what's come Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it yet, but I'm probably it. not no. going to because everybody's like, "I'll wait until it comes out on streaming." I'm not. I'm not gonna. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not a big Rotten Tomatoes person, but like 13 percent on Rotten Tomatoes is yeah. like that's, it tells you something, right? Like a little bit of what to expect. You know, I think Dakota Johnson's great. I had high hopes, but. I think this is one, and and I've said this before, just about superhero movies in general. You know, the MCU has started to do this. One thing I loved about the early MCU, phase one of the MCU, you know, Iron Man, like all of the first installations of all those Mm -hmm. films, most of the people that they brought in for the roles of the Avengers and stuff like that, they weren't nobodies. They were well-known actors, but they weren't people that were currently so mainstream. And they kind of put them in the mainstream. So Robert Downey Jr., he's been around forever. He's done a lot of stuff. But that younger generation wasn't as familiar with him. And making him Iron Man brought him to all ages. Same thing with, you know, Chris Hemsworth. He had done some stuff before. Thor made him who he is. Chris Evans, same thing. I really liked that about the beginning of the MCU that they kind of brought, you know, Elizabeth Olsen. Incredible actress. People didn't really know that there was a third Olsen sister or she was a a Scarlet Witch. So that's what I really loved about that. And I I don't love that now in we're done with phase four, the Avengers chapter is closed. 
we're going on to the next phase of the MCU. I don't love that the default now has been to bring in so many people that are already mainstream. And I think that's why it's kind of hard yeah. to swallow those sometimes. I mean, when I saw Eternals, all of the people who are the Eternals are people who are already like, why is Angelina Jolie in that movie? Sure, she's talented. We love Angelina Jolie. We don't need her to be in that. Harry Styles, spoiler, Harry Styles does not need to be in that movie. Kit Harrington, love him. He doesn't need to be. Barry Keoghan. None of them need that. And I think having the people that are already so mainstream and we know them from so many different things ruins the character development there. Because we're like, Angelina Jolie, that's not her. Because we know her as so many other things she's done. I love superheroes movies as much as the next person. Don't get me wrong. I love Marvel. I love the MCU. But I think it needs to be people who can really use this role to make it their own. And when we already have such an idea Mm. of them from their previous roles, it's kind of impossible to do that. I think Dakota Johnson kind of fell into that. I think she's great, but we know her from so many things. And, you know, Fifty Shades was a huge franchise and she's done a lot. I think that this kind of fell on deaf ears because people are like, she's not a superhero. She's not that because we know her as so many things already. Yeah. Well, I think this is the same conversation. It's very synonymous to the conversation of reading reviews before going into a movie or watching trailers because then you 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 kind of have this prejudgmental yeah. thought of what to expect. Whereas if you see a Sydney Sweeney or Dakota Johnson or you see these you know, Barry Keoghan and Eternals, you're like, wait, I I know who they are. Like, wait, this does not fit them. Whereas to your point, if you put somebody new or at least, you know, well-known for other things in the past, but not, you know, incredibly marketable yet, and they can become that, you can kind of mold them into this figure, the Robert Downey Juniors, Chris Hemsworth, and so on. I think that's a great take because that kind of builds an originality around them in that character, rather than you saying, ah, that's not this is weird because I saw her in Fifty Shades of Grey or I saw Sydney Sweeney in anything but anyone but you, yeah. but now she's a superhero. Like kind of builds yep. this weird thought process. So I like that. That's a good way of putting it. I do think Craven the Hunter might compete, depending I mean, we'll see. But we know what Madam Web is, and I think that kind of propels it to being number one on that list. All right, let's go to the good news. Best. Who Joker do you have two. listed as the best? Joker two. I mean Deadpool and Wolverine, I'm excited, but Joker two, I I just I think movie wise, I'll be most pleased with the product of Joker Two. I think I'll be more entertained with Deadpool and Wolverine, but I think I'll be more I mean, pleased with Joker. The first Joker was nominated for eleven Oscars. No Wild. shade to Deadpool and Wolverine. It's not gonna get nominated for an Oscar. And like you said, that's the difference between a film that's like, wow, this is a masterpiece and a film that's, wow, this is entertaining. Neither is better than the other. Yeah. But as far as like the best in that sense, I'm like I said before, Joaquin won Best Actor for the first one. How could you not pick it for the second one? I could not say it better myself. Best sequels and reboots. Do you have both or do you have like a better, like do you have a best sequel so or do you have I a best reboot? I actually didn't write anything down for this because everything is a sequel or reboot. Everything is a sequel. There's so I many feel sequels. Like most things this year are that. Is there a reboot that you're looking forward to? Is there one that you kind of have in um, mind? I think or that no one reboots? has to be Nosferatu. That's a good point. I totally forgot Nosferatu as a reboot. It is. Yeah, it is. It is a reboot. I didn't have any good reboots, <laughs> to be quite honest, because I didn't think of Nosferatu, but that would be my number one. I had Twisters listed and Transformers 1, but I don't think they're going to be anything special, but I think they are reboots if you want to 
you know, keep an eye on a new Transformers movie, which seems to be a prequel to uh, it's like creating its own movie. It's right. not part of any of the other stories. And then Twisters, of course, is a reboot to the original film. But yeah, a lot of sequels this year. Nosferatu is one to keep an eye out for the reboot stage. What about animated? Inside Out 2. And if I had to, if I Inside had to pick two. a sequel, I agree with you. It would be Dune Part 2 and or Inside Out 2. But animated, okay. I think it, it has to be Inside Out. The first one is just so great. My only fear with Inside Out 2 is the necessity for a second one because the first one was so good by itself that I'm like, ooh, are we treading on some difficult waters here making a second movie where we didn't need to make a second movie? However, that first one was very well done. So that is number one. I will say a sleeper animated pick is mm-hmm. the Garfield movie. Uh, this is going. This is directed by Mark Dindle, who wrote and directed Emperor's New Groove, which is my favorite animated movie. Well, I guess one of my favorites, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is my favorite. I'm not a big Garfield fan. I don't care about Garfield. It's not a story that I'm gravitating toward. I didn't grow up on that story. But knowing who's involved, Chris Pratt is playing Garfield. He's doing the main voice. And I I know they have a good voice cast. That's one I'd keep an eye out for. I mean, you do have Moana too. If Mufasa the Lion King counts because it's going to be CGI, great. I'd throw that in the mix. But I think Inside Out 2 has this one kind of. Oh, I do actually have one more sequel that I forgot I had written down. This is more of. This is an honorable mention. Okay. They're making a sequel to Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. <laughs> no, stop. Don't don't bring that discourse okay. here. We don't need that. We don't one? need that. I did Amazing. not see the first one. <laughs> it's so terrible. <laughs> it's so funny. Have a movie night with your friends. Like take a shot every time something ridiculous happens. This movie, literally in the first one, there are multiple instances where the masks of the people lift up and you can see the human underneath that is that is just too great that's campy if, if anything's so ever been campy that's the, it the second one's supposed to be even more gory i can't wait coming in march now that tigger has uh, his copyright has expired so now tigger will be in this movie the sequel which oh. i to my understanding was not in the first one due to copyright reasons so i guess that's one thing to look forward to if you are a blood oh, and honey fan it's you're gonna so get a funny. new character so best First time performance or directorial. I debut. also have Inside Out two for this one. Kelsey and Adam going to be directing, and Ooh. this is the feature debut. Wow, Disney I trusting. Uh, I know that's a big ask. I I put Dee Dee here. I was going to be my other I saw one. Yeah, uh, sh- yeah. I mean, Sean Sean Wong, who got nominated for an Oscar for his his uh, short film, his short documentary this year. Um, so he made Dee Dee first feature film. I'm going to give a lot of credit also to Monkey Man. This is Dev Patel's first directorial debut, and he's also leading the film. It does look a little John Wick to me, and I'm not a big John Wick fan, so I hope it's a little bit more than that and a little bit different, but I'm excited for Monkey Man. It's also produced by Jordan Peele, who I trust, and so those two. Uh, one low-key pick, it's called Out of Darkness, originally called Del Origin at Fantastic Fest, which is where I saw it. And this is directed by Andrew Cumming, and this is currently in theaters at the time of this recording. So this is his directorial debut, Dee Dee, Monkey Man, and Out of Darkness. Those would be my last category. What movies, if any, will earn a billion dollars at the box office? So the first Joker movie passed a billion dollars the first time. It did. It did. Again, like you said, it's a little bit different. Lady Gaga, the musical portion of it. It may have different performance, but I feel like fans will still go to see it. So I have high hopes for that one. And then the other one, you know, the first Dune didn't do as well as people thought at the box office. $435 million worldwide, yeah. which is 
bad, but it's, it's not great, a but not not you know. Since yeah. all of the early reviews are saying that the second one is eons beyond the first one, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna do it. I think this one will do it. I have the same two movies because, and exactly what you mentioned. I saw that the first one made less than half a billion with Dune, but Dune Part Two with the discourse, and not only discourse, but also new acting talent. Christopher Walken, you have Austin Butler, you have the original cast coming back. This is going to be our sci-fi movie. This is going to be the one that we talk about, you know, moving forward from what it sounds like. And once again, it could be not good. I'm hoping it is good, but it could be bad. And then Joker Folia Doe, I'm wondering if the billion dollar mark during the first film was during a time period that we just wanted to see a Joker origin story after Heath Ledger. And so we didn't know what to expect. I don't know if that was the hype. But then again, a billion people, or at least, you know, over around, you know, half a billion people paid to go see this, which means they'll probably pay to go see the second one. So Doom Part 2, Joker Folia Doe, those are my picks. 2024, it, honestly, I'm, I'm excited more now that we've talked about it. When I went through the list of everything, do we are we going to have a good year? Is this going to be better than 2023? I don't know. Like, do you have any thoughts, any closing thoughts on I agree. When I went through the list, I was like, oh, is there anything that's like really wow factor other than Dune, which is coming out next week? Yes. But yeah. no, I'm excited. I'm I'm more excited for Joker now that we've talked about it a lot. Like you said, it has been, what, five years since the first one. I probably haven't seen yeah. it since it came out. So that's one that like kind of got to resurface the excitement about that. Yeah, I think there's some good, I'm hoping for some good horror vibes. Like you said, there wasn't a lot last year. Wish we didn't have to wait till December for Nosferatu. And I think there's a good (laughs) mixture. I think that's the thing. You know, Roadhouse, the fall guy, we have kind of the like action blockbuster vibes. We have the book to movie. We have the musical vibes. We have a little bit of everything, which I think will be good for this year. I like when there's a good mixture. It is a good mixture. Yeah, last year was kind of the year of directors. You know, Christopher Nolan, Greta Gerwig, Martin Scorsese, David Fincher, like everybody was coming back. They were making movies. This year feels like the year of sequels, and I hope it's more than that, but it does kind of feel like the year of third film, fourth film, second film of these classics or even great films that we got you know, years ago. I hope it's going to be good. I think you've made a great point. It does feel diverse. It feels like it's going to be different. We're going to have an influx of comedies, an influx of horror films, a little bit more so than we had last year. I do have a movie recommendation. I give a movie recommendation at the end of these episodes. And if you have one, please share afterward. My movie recommendation is called The Taste of Things. I've never, I don't think, ever seen you give five stars to something. I saw this on your Instagram, and I was (laughs) meaning to ask you about it. So please tell. Yes, you're right. I truly, I'm not like closed off to giving five stars, but I just don't watch movies that truly move me in the way where I was like, that was a near perfect film. And I looked in 2023, I had five films that that received five stars. Oppenheimer was one of them. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was another one. Past Lives was another one. I'm excited to see that film at the Oscars. Uh, Strange Darling, which I saw at Fantastic Fest, which has not had a release date quite yet. And then The Taste of Things, which is technically a 2023 film, even though it got a wide release. So this was the film that France submitted to the Academy instead of Anatomy of a Fall. It did not get nominated. It was on the shortlist for Oscars. This is one of the most beautiful. It is the most beautiful film about food I've ever seen in my life. It uses food as this structure of art rather than a structure of filling in the gap or recreation or the things that we see food for. It sees it more as a compilation of taste, a compilation of exploration, and then a romance story 
between the two lead characters. A marvelous, marvelous film. I, I just felt so much emotion. I felt so much love that I don't really feel from films nowadays because everything is kind of pushing the, how do we make this trendy? How do we market this? And this film just kind of bypassed all of that. Said, hey, this is an 1889-based film about a world-renowned chef and his, his right-hand cook and how they fell in love and how they make food and incredible sequences of food. It makes you want to become a chef, like the bear, or when you watch these shows, you're like, wow, I want to start cooking. I want to get into this space because... It values the art of it rather than the recreation. So that would be my my recommendation. The taste of things. It might not be in theaters for long because it's not a big film. If you see it around, Love. that's my okay. recommendation. Good to know. I'm trying to think. Love. Okay, yeah. I have two recommendations that are kind of very different. Okay. One I think is Nyad. And obviously, like we said, it's an Oscar nominee, all of that. But it's the true story of Diana Nyad, who was the first person to swim from Cuba to Florida. And Which she is does it when she's 64. Nonstop, too. It's insane. Yeah. Jodie Foster, Annette Benning, they are so great in the film. I think that this one is one that even if you don't like the quote-unquote sports movies or anything like that, it's just such an inspirational story. And Jodie Foster and Annette Benning's characters, their friendship is so beautiful. It's really great. That one's on Netflix. I'd say to watch that one. And then another kind of random recommendation, also on Netflix, I have a murder documentary recommendation, Lover, Stalker, Killer. Yes, I want to see this. We watched it kind of accidentally, I think like the day it came out, and now there's all this news and stuff about it. It's wild. Don't watch a trailer. Don't read anything about it. Don't look at anything because you'll get it spoiled. Just put it on. It's wild. You got me stoked. Okay, I'm going to watch that. I scrolled past it a couple times because I've been finding new things to watch. And I mentioned this on a previous episode, which I know I'm so behind on this. I have just recently created my own account on Netflix. I've used, I, I'm used to just sharing an account, like just sharing one profile and finding things. But now that the algorithm is very much dependent on my picks, it has been the most marvelous thing I've ever explored on Netflix. But that movie has shown up so much. And I'm like, do I start watching this? Do I not start watching this? So that will now be on my watch list for this week. So thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Also, Jodie Foster is my dark horse pick for Best Supporting Actress. I think she is phenomenal in that movie. She's also one of the few actors in that category that gave a true supporting performance. And that's not a discredit to those actors. It's a discredit to the writers. I like that she had a pivotal part rather than a powerful monologue or a powerful two-minute sequence. She had a very good role. So great picks. Uh, Nyad and... You know, my favorite film ever is Silence of the Lambs. Like she's she's been around. She's also in yep. the new season of True Detective and she's fantastic. I'm happy that she's kind of coming back around and getting a little bit more recognition again because I think she, she kind of disappeared for a she's while. Revamping. And she's so talented. So I'm really happy that she's back. So Nyad, Lover, Stalker, Killer... The taste of things. Those are our recommendations. We made our 2024 predictions. Make yours. If we if we missed a movie, if there's one that's just kind of swept under the rug, message me. Let me know about it. I want to put it on my watch list. Hillary, thank, thank you. you. It's always great chatting. Like it's, we don't do this often enough, but it's fun. This is great. Thank this is a for good topic me. to Can't talk about. Can't wait for movies this year. Yes, 2024. And to everybody listening, anybody who's still listening, thank you for hanging on with us. Be kind to each other. Have a good week. Watch more movies, and we'll chat next time. Peace. <laughs>